Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I am the eternal William Johnson Marvel show. <laughs> well, I would love, I, we need business cards with that on it. Folks, we're damn glad to have you, ladies and gentlemen. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. We got a contentious one, folks. We have the Rotten Tomatoes Challenged, hot off the press, Eternals. The newest movie from Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we're here to talk about it because Will Johnson just walked out of a press screening for it about a half hour ago. He is our recommending person. And in order to kind of make this a fast turnaround, we're recording this about two days before we hope to publish it. So I hope our folks in the metal shop can take care of us. In order to do that, we got to stick to our format. So our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we open up for 15 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. Folks, you know I have to defer to the Marvel shill in the room. Will Johnson, you're the lover. You're going first. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we're recording this pretty late at night for both of us. So, mm. um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and hit my timer. We're just going to get, we're going to get cracking right away. So, all right. Now, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, of all the Marvel projects, uh, this is one that I had a little bit, of, a little bit of doubt. Um, you know, I, I'm not, in Kevin Feige, I trust, of course, but the Eternals, even in comic book form, is very obscure. Uh, there is not a lot of issues of the Eternals. Um, some high-profile people have written for it, I believe, like Neil Gaiman and stuff, and obviously Jack Kirby created them. Um, but you know, other, like I said, it's not a super popular series. Um, it's uh, you know, it's something that many might even argue Jack Kirby did better at DC with New Gods. Um, so, uh, you know, I saw the previews, uh, which they, um, you know, they, they didn't actually reveal a lot, which I think is rare for trailers these days. Um, but even, you know, my daughter who's obsessed with Marvel myself, uh, there was a little bit of doubt, you know, it was like, what about this? And, and, you know, the MCU appeals to me a lot because it reminds me of reading comics as a kid. And a lot of that is name, name value, you know, uh, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man. This one doesn't really have that powerful name value. And I was a little skeptical, um, more so than something like, let's say Guardians of the Galaxy, which I had very little contact with as a kid reading comics. Uh, but the difference was it was so kooky and weird that you kind of had to go see it. You know, this seemed a little bit more, um, you know, self-serious and, uh, you know, quote unquote important. And, uh, you know, the, the, the acting or the actors attached were great, but I, I, I can't lie to you. I was a little skeptical and maybe that helps me a little bit because, uh, when I saw it, I was, I was just, uh, I'm not going to say blown away because I think that, um, like a lot of Chloe Zhao's movies, um, they're excellently made, well acted, um, put together very well, very thoughtful. But uh, I would say of the three of her films that I've seen, this one is definitely the closest for me to be emotionally attached to the characters. 
uh, the writer and especially no man land kind of have the characters kind of keeping you at arm's length a little bit. So it's hard to get emotionally attached. This one does a much better job of getting emotionally attached. And, and that I appreciate there is still a little bit of a, of a gap there um, where like I'm connecting, but I'm not like in love with the characters like I would be with other ones. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that I have no background or that the story itself is just not as emotionally effective. Now I bring this up because uh, one thing I will say, and this is on an episode we haven't released yet is, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, this Marvel movie is lame compared to the visuals of Dune. Okay. Let's not compare each movie because there's plenty of movies I've seen that are pretty and empty. Dune to me is pretty and empty. I don't care about the characters. This one is also very pretty. It's a very beautiful movie. I think the shot selection Cinematography is excellent. Is it going to compare to Dune? Of course not. But if you want to, if you want to start comparing stuff, I definitely give way more of a shit about the characters in this movie than I did in Dune. Um, and they, and it just happens to look uh, really beautiful as well. So this is a well crafted, well acted, really good story with a lot of great twists in it too. There's a lot of stuff that took me by surprise. One thing that me and Don always talk about is Don always talks about how the trailers always reveal too much or they don't leave a lot of surprises, especially Marvel is his argument. I don't agree with him, but he'll say that. But I think there's a couple major surprises in this story narrative um, that uh, really surprised me. And I think it it surprised a lot of people in the audience based on their very verbal reactions. Um, it, it has a lot of the MCU elements that I think will be crowd-pleasing to people. It's got it's got a lot of good humor, thanks to Kamal Nanjiani. Um, the action is very well-directed. Um, but you know what? And, and, and I've got 45 seconds left, but this is kind of what I'll say. And I actually mentioned this in another episode we haven't released yet about The Last Duel. Um, you know, people are always saying, you know, a lot of the cinema snobs out there and the people are always making these arguments that cinema has to be this and cinema has to be A, B, and C. And the MCU doesn't have A, B, or C. So finally, the goddamn MCU puts the A, B, and C in it and people are like, ah, well, no, no, no. I mean, that doesn't count because I don't know why. This movie has emotional stakes. It has physical stakes. I'd say almost more stakes than uh, the normal MCU movie. That's not like one of those epic end pieces like Endgame, um, and uh, I think that it it is uh, almost a thinking man's MCU film because it it definitely deals with a lot more thought than action, and I and I appreciate that. Nicely done. You know what? I got I got to get the bell because that's our show. Yeah, five minutes and ten seconds. I'm sorry. Ah, you're good. You're good. You're good. Who's keeping score? Mitch Proctor. Mitch is. Yeah, and he's never let us down. I mean, a couple times he has, but mostly hasn't. You can edit that out, Mitch. But we're good. Yeah, it's okay. We're good. We're good. So, for I have to tip my hat to that. I uh, you you come at this from the Marvel Shield perspective of the guy who has to sit over here across the microphone in two mm-hmm. time zones and listen to the goddamn Marvel Shield. You mm-hmm. came in with a pretty heady attitude about this, and I'm impressed. You know, you watched a lot of trailers, and of course I avoided them, and I still haven't actually watched the trailers for the Eternals. I just haven't felt the need. And, um, yeah, it it I can't go thinking man's... I can't go all the way to a thinking man's movie of this, that kind of level, because... It's still, a, you know, a tell you everything exposition driven Marvel movie that has to spell everything out everywhere they can. And it's easily the most mystical, talkative and far fetched the MCU's really ever endeavored to this date. I mean, this is this is asking for a leap, a huge one. 
that I don't know if every fan, myself included, can really fully embrace or comprehend because you're you're kind of going there with this, you know, when they go to the in the beginning and they're going with these creation busting, you know, storytelling line of where you know, all of this is here and happening because of these individuals and these celestials that are even bigger and the one that's inside that's going to destroy the earth. And it's, it is, it's out there. And not that they haven't gone out there before with things like Guardians of the Galaxy, but it was still, Guardians of the Galaxy still felt like, you know, that ragtag bunch of guys that could, that could just be a motorcycle gang from a 50s movie as much as it is jumping through galaxies and hoops. So, but this, this is really out there to just get big and get large. I tip my hat to the movie and the, to the, to the representation you can kind of put to this movie. I, the, the central kind of failed romantic relationship that's there between, uh, Gemma Chan, Circe and Richard Madden, Icarus is, is appreciable, you know, very much so, you know, that's, that's definitely, like you said, stakes in Marvel characters we don't normally get to see. And the cast, I mean, you have elders and fresh faces mixed together between, you know, Marvel's first deaf hero, first Latino hero, first Korean hero, Pakistani hero, Irish hero, gay hero. And it's pretty impressive to have those portrayals make it into a movie. And I know that's going to get the white sunglasses, NFL hating, you know, uh, conservative crowd to just, you know, armchair finger pointers to just kind of call out this movie and try to call it all planted tokenism and i don't buy that all because the thought and care that's in this movie even at a blockbuster scale is super evident thanks to chloe zhao um i find the writer to be the best thing she's ever done it's a character i can get into being a small town guy and i arm's length or not i it's arm's length enough that it kind of grabs me enough this one's still kind of still kind of got its spectacle and that kind of thing you know and I know she's going to get shit for, you know, taking this blockbuster commission and compared to, you know, her peers that, are, you know, call these movies out for what they think they want to call them out for is less than cinema. But it sounds like she had a wonderful time doing this. You know, I don't think this is going to damage her prestige cred in any way. She's a good enough director that this will just be one cool thing that she's able to still do. Um, movie looks great, you know, because of Chloe Zhao, you have the 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 adoration of all things backlit and <laughs> magic hour, and that's all fine and good. But I think the hard part is is just you're you're rewriting history and legend to a level that is just tricky. In my review, I said folks are going to need an atlas, a social studies tutor, and a, sp- and a stenographer to write all this down and understand what the heck is going on. And I think of it in another way, and this is kind of where I'll end is um. Michael Bay in his Transformers movie kind of did a lot of this same stuff too, where you kind of upturn and bastardize history, whether it's Arthurian legend, dinosaur extinctions, massive things that show up in the, you know, in the sky above the planet and for all the people to see. And we give Michael Bay deserved chastising shit for how dumb and ludicrous his movies are. And yet here's a Marvel movie kind of doing the same thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Showmanship and purpose and stakes make it a heck of a lot better than a Michael Bay movie, but it's still kind of crazy and dumb. And the good graces of Marvel will keep this from being the butt of all jokes, but it's, I, I call it the title of my review in 25. Well, is this is a movie that jumps an ocean of sharks. And I think that's what this movie is, is it, we may look back on this and go, wow, that was a, a watershed thing for them to kind of go there and set this stage. But it also can be the place we look back and go, man, you really jumped the shark for something that's just way bigger than the good thing you had going.
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't agree with you on that uh, part. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly, I figured you wouldn't. Well, here's the deal. I I don't know if it's because I'm deep into the lore, you know, of the MCU and things like right. that. But the MCU has made it very clear that Celestials are either oh yeah suspect or mm-hmm. um you know something not understandable i mean we've seen yeah. uh you know uh star lord's father was a celestial mm-hmm. uh we've seen an empty celestial head we know that the celestials had something to do with at least one of the infinity stones right um there is i went in and the, the script does this and i don't i don't think the and i don't want to say the average viewer because i'm not smarter than the average person i'm just saying like i went with my aunt who doesn't really know much about the lore of the mcu mm-hmm. and i think that yes i think that you would take some of this at face value and say yeah they're changing history i don't necessarily buy that because I think the script, I think the story does not define what the Celestials are it, with the exception of confirming what we've known before. Cause actually ego from guardians of the galaxy two kind of did the same thing where he was planting his seed across planets, mm-hmm. you know, t- in order for him to get power and stuff like that. Um, they leave it open enough. I think where, uh, what was the, uh, I don't have it pulled up at the moment. Arishem. Arishem, Aramash, yeah. Arishem, whatever. Arishem. You know, they, they leave it. I, I, I thought that they left it open-ended enough where you're like, well, maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he's a bad guy. I mean, he yeah. kind of lies throughout the whole film. I agree. You know? So I don't think it was explaining everything to everybody because, <sighs> and, and I also don't think that because, what I like the most about this, and this is why I said there's emotional stakes as well as physical ones, because people do die in this movie, which mm-hmm. does not happen often in Marvel movies, um, unless it's like a big saga ending kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what I like about it is that the Celestials themselves, much like we have arguments in real life about God and ultimate powers and mm-hmm. you know things like that is that the characters themselves doubt it and and i thought that was it's a, interesting okay, yeah i'll take because, that because because there's some characters that have um un, undying loyalty to that god and then there's some mm-hmm. who are questioning it and not sure there's some that believe in those idols there's some that don't you know there th- there's yeah. a lot of blind faith going on in this movie and i and that's a touch i really like a lot of people say that um, the MCU's main problem, at least in the beginning, was that like uh, the the problems were externalized too much. Like, for instance, um, you know, like the good guy, let's say Iron Man, mm-hmm. would figure out something about himself and would literally fight the antithesis of himself. In this yeah. case, the first one, Iron Monger. You know, like he would fight the evil Iron Man, you know, yeah. and, and Winter Soldier is the evil Captain America. Right. So I, it, yeah. it's very literal. Yeah. Th- That's this, comic since the beginning of time, too. Right, yeah. right. Brains this, versus Brown. This one I, I like because there really isn't a big bad necessarily. And, no. and we'll get into spoiler territory here, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. kind of one of the twists, which actually took me for a loop, was that the guy they're kind of positing as, you know, the leader 
is really the bad guy. I, and, but from a certain point of view, because there are sure, two, sure. there are two characters in this movie who follow him blindly, who follow him regardless mm-hmm. of what he's done. And I think that's very true to life. I think that's less fantasy, more realism uh, to me. Sure. I think, I mean, I get all that. And I think when Guardians of the Galaxy dangled all this for us, Mm -hmm. it was interesting out there where it was on the fringe, you know, out there in the farthest reaches of the galaxy, kind of, you know, floating around all things. But once you kind of, I'm just saying it's a big leap that once you plant one of those guys in the core of the earth as the source of the earthquakes that will destroy it. And once you, mm-hmm. you know, you orchestrate and, and doctor up the cocktail that will become human history with all the little involvements of this and that it's, mm-hmm. that's a lot. It's, it's interesting when it's out there in the fringe as a puppeteer kind of thing, mm-hmm. when it's right there, you know, I don't want to say revising, but when it's right there really forging as much as it's trying to forge and taking a long part of the movie to really make sure, hey, we were in Babylon. Hey, we were in Tenochtitlan. You know, like they they're name dropping every chance they get. Like which which history can we can we say is we we can lay claim to and stake our little flag in. Now I'm not trying to say this is the <laughs> the colonizer movie of history thanks to Marvel mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it goes there a lot for a whole lot of time of the running time. And it's fascinating. Like you said, as I'm a social studies teacher, I know I can dig all that. And it's, a, if it makes kids pick up Wikipedia afterwards and go, Hey, what was to know? That's fine by me or, and all right. that. But, right. And I, they balance it nicely with the idea of where these characters have landed in the present day, where I, I really enjoyed Brian Tyree Henry's, arc where he was you know Mm -hmm. just kind of taking the civilian life as a scientist and having a having a significant other and a family and where uh obviously cersei has a human romantic relationship as well and it's not all Mm -hmm. they the like you said the side that's not super loyal to the cause has endeared themselves to humanity and that part will always be something that's easy to gravitate to and enjoy but it's still all happening with the whole oh shit, the planet's going to die thing. Now I'm not saying it's glowing sky beam in the sky crap the way it is mm-hmm, in DC, mm-hmm. but it's still a uh, dude. There's something crawling out of the earth to come and destroy us all. And then fucking Cybertron celestial shows up and goes, talks to the whole planet and blows all of the cover we could ever have into what human origins are. are. And all of that is happening in thanks to uh, Kit Harrington's character and a fragile post blip world. We're like, Oh shit. I don't, what's going on. This is Thanos. We were all gone for five years. Like the reverberations that humans have going through all this isn't the, Oh wow. Cool stuff. It's, it is like you said, stakes and different, but it's, it's just a lot. And it's yeah, a big no, I, I agree. Now, like I said, I was using kind of my aunt who I took to the mm-hmm. screening as a gauge of this. Um, yeah. And she said she really enjoyed it. And so I, I, you know, uh, I don't think she was well. First of all, it wasn't um, overburdened with too much uh, mythos. Uh, there's, you know, the mentions of Thanos and things like that. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's just like Shang Chi was. It relies a lot on just its main yeah. story as opposed to kind of tying everything in, which I thought was good. Yeah, and I think um, it's I think it's a necessary growing point that this is the MCU is doing in phase four, thanks to the finality of so many things that happened in Endgame. Like you gotta grow from other places and they do. Yeah, and and I when I say a thinking man's thing, I know I'll probably get 
crap for that from somebody. <laughs> but I, what I don't mean is I'm not saying this is some kind of like intense intellectual exercise, but what I like about it is that, um, you know, one thing that's defined the MCU is that characters have flaws, mm-hmm. but I don't think maybe with the exception of like a Loki here and there or something, you know, there's never really a doubt about how good or bad a person is um, mm-hmm. in those movies. I mean, we always know Robert Downey Jr. Or, sorry, Tony Stark may have flaws that make him kind of a dick, but he's a good person. You know, what I like about this one is it kind of gives you this varied perspective of, you know, like people who think they're right, people who believe what they believe with proof, people who have changed their beliefs, you know, yeah. um, I, I like that inner turmoil. So when I say it's a thinking person's piece, it's kind of like when the big twist happens and you find out that Icarus had, you know, killed uh, Salma Hayek's character and mm-hmm. um, he ends up kind of being the bad guy that they have to, you know, fight. Um, they, uh, you know, I think they show that he has remorse. They, they, they make you kind of understand where he's coming from, mm-hmm. you know, but without demonizing him. But at the same time, you're kind of like, well, I was fucked up. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it makes, it's like, it kind of like the Loki factor It is kind of difficult to just be like, Oh, well, he's clearly the villain. Like it's not a, it's not an evil turn where he just starts killing yeah. children everywhere. And, right. and there's no big black hat here. And I don't know if the movie's missing that, but I do, yeah. enjoy, I do tip my hat that it's not all nefarious, mustache twirling, bad guy stuff. Well, and, and the fact that uh, there's a couple, I wouldn't say these are twists, but the fact that like one, one hero, Kamel Nanjiani's Kingo, you know, he just bows out. He's like, nah, I'm not going to fight this. And I thought that was an interesting twist. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't come at the end and go, I'm going to save you. Like he made his choice. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, like, I, I, I'm i not going to fight. This is too weird for me. I'm going to yeah. go live my life. Uh, the fact that we had Sprite uh, by the great Liam McHugh, I thought she was really good. Um, uh, you know, the fact that she is willing to follow, you know, that, that follow Icarus. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's got all these, what you would normally think is like petty jealousies, but like you kind of understand where she's coming from. Like she's been trapped through this child's body for seven centuries. Yeah. Um, we get the, we get the Kirsten Dunst interview, the vampire character. You know? Yeah. I, the only thing I wish they went into a little bit more, um, the two characters I liked a lot that I think could have used a little bit more screen time, despite the length of this movie is Druig. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that he oh, Barry Kugan. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. He was like very affected by the fact that he kind of was the one all along that was always like, Hey, this is kind of messed up. What mm-hmm. we're doing. like, we're letting these people get killed and stuff. And he kind of goes off and does his own thing. But I also like my favorite scene in the movie is when Fastos by Brian Tyree Henry mm-hmm. is watching the uh, uh, Hiroshima Mm-hmm. Uh, bomb and he gets to that point where he's like you know I, I don't know if humans don't deserve to live and stuff like that I wish they had examined that a little yeah. bit more personally but I mean those are still some interesting concepts no, so I'm with you there like of these 10 characters and it's it's a sizable 
ensemble to have for sure. Mm-hmm. And played, I mean, not a not a bad apple in the bunch in terms of casting, like you mm-hmm. were talking about. It's difficult still, even in this movie in this length of running time, to give enough perspective or enough fleshed out extras to each thing, which is which is part of me where I'm at, where I'm. It's part of where I'm at with the. Hey, can we trim off some of the history showing off and get to the cores of these characters? Can can those things in the past in Babylon and Tenochtitlan be more mm-hmm. flickers and be more conveyed by their present perspectives? Because, like you said, with with um, with Druig's character out in the Amazon, that that's a that's a stark place to be, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of mental and head state. And same thing with Brian Henry, Tyree Henry's place of, of 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 heart. And then you have the two partners who are going through almost borderline almost feels like a dementia-esque story with Angelina Jolie and, and Don Lee's character and characters, I should say. And there's really fascinating di- divergent perspectives uh, that are definitely split between the two sides that you're talking about, but not enough is given there where I'm not saying the romance of Circe and Icarus steals too much thunder, but mm-hmm. maybe it does between that, maybe the longing romance and the, and the, history party time stuff or no, I want to say party time stuff, but they, they just spent an awful lot of time wandering and walking in sunsets because that's what a Chloe job film does where mm. you could have more of the more Druid and more like more of what you're talking about, more of the conflict. Not that it's not there because clearly it's built on conflict, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's, 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 it's a bore. <laughs> I don't want to say it's a boring movie the way that all the other Rotten Tomato critics are going to. I gave it three out of five. It's more positive than negative for me, but gosh, it can get a little boring. Mm. Yeah, I was never bored. Um, like I said, I, I, I did feel a little bit of a disconnect. I think it's just a Chloe Zhao thing. I've kind mm-hmm. of always had that. I love the writer. Uh, I think yeah. it's a wonderful film. And, and No Man Land was fine. We talked about it in a previous show. <laughs> yeah. um, fine to good. I think I gave it three and a half. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and this one, uh, you know, like I said, there, there was something where I was kind of like, okay, I, I'm into this. I'm not bored. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to end. But yeah. there is a little bit of a disconnect. I don't know if that's just her writing style or her, you know, because I feel the same way about um, – Here's another director that um, I like but don't love is okay. uh, Guillermo del Toro. Okay. Um, like every time Definitely I watch a one, different polar end of things than Chloe. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, when I watch Guillermo del Toro films, I'm always like appreciating the art. Yeah. But I'm always a little emotionally detached. Like I'm not like, oh, this guy's the greatest auteur ever because uh, mm-hmm. he's got a lot of fans like that. And I oh, think yeah, Chloe, Chloe Zhao is kind of a, you know, a hot ticket item at this moment. She's a good mm-hmm. director. Uh, but yeah, I, I think maybe just some there's something in there that doesn't yeah. really fly with me. I don't know what it is, but I did enjoy the movie, and I, I've enjoyed it more than mm-hmm. a lot of the other big releases lately. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I had a good time. I had a good time with it. I'm going to see it okay. again on Friday because my daughter wants to see it with her friends. So go. I'm, I'm going to see it again. We'll see how it holds up. I'd be curious to hear that. Yeah, because I'd like to know if the – now that I know what's going to happen and I know there is what we'll call downtime, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of more thinking parts than you know action parts. Uh, I'd like to see how it holds up. So I may refine my my rating. I haven't decided what to give it yet, but um, yeah, I I think it's a – I think for – 
the uh, the folks that aren't heavy into the MCU lore, it's a it's a decent start. It does bring up some, like you said, I don't mind the history part because I think there's enough like suspect stuff going on with Celestials and and the Eternals and how much they really were involved and how they weren't, you know, um, with history. Mm-hmm. That I give that a little bit of a pass, but then okay. you start, then you do start thinking about like let's let's remember like uh, Shang Chi, uh, you know, has a scene in the beginning where like the, you have this <laughs> you have this thing where it's like, well, you know, the Ten Rings have been uh, you know kicking people's ass for <laughs> you know five centuries or whatever. You know, he's had the rings, and you know they show fighting in, like ancient China and stuff, and it's like. Did the Eternals not have anything to do with that? You know, so it does, it does start, you know, getting a little complicated once you bring that in. Like if you think about it too hard, but I, I, I'm not going to damn the film for it. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. This, this feels like an odd vacation from this multiverse thing. They've been building like crazy between Uh, WandaVision, Loki and Spider-Man promises to go in that direction. And Dr. Strange is nothing but going in that direction where this is an odd little rest stop of movie that I'm, I'm I'm going to be very curious to see how it will plug in later. Well, I think both of this and Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi are this way. uh, But but Shang-Chi has that, you know, you still have, uh, Wu showing up at the end of Shang Chi, you know, directly open, walk, you know, opening the door to be like, "Hey, some new Avengers are ready to go, and you're in." There's right. not that. There's not that moment here where I, I, I'm guessing if I have to prognosticate and guess that this is going to be our bridge more than anything to whatever the Guardians of the Galaxy three is going to be, and like this could be the place that stays outside of earth even though we, we just spent a whole lot of human history on earth but i feel like yeah. they like i feel like this is the thor of phase one where this is the one that's going to go out in a big way in a big place touch a little things on earth but be more about what's bigger and farther away despite again the entire movie taking place on earth um but yeah i, wow. I don't yeah. know how this is going to plug in like i said this i feel like this could be a place where we look back and go wow that's a foundation built that's going to be something or it's going to be the weird the weird cast off movie i just don't know where this is going to be i'm like you said faith and feige i'm there I, i'm i'm engaged i'm curious great casting but this is i i can't wait to hear your thoughts when we hear it all again folks got to follow will in the socials to see how take two goes well, one last thing. We'll do this as a post-credit sequence. Speaking of post-credit Ooh, sequences. All right. Um, I believe, now this is my interpretation. I, I don't know. I can't confirm, and I, I haven't looked it up because I just got home. Okay. Uh, I believe, and tell me if you think this is correct too, the voice at the end of the second end credit sequence. Ooh, I don't that, know who it is either. That, yeah. I, I believe that's Jeffrey Wright. Um, from the What If series. Now, that oh. opens up all kinds of crazy shit because yeah. you're talking about an animated show <laughs> of which mm-hmm. now the characters mm-hmm. are in real life. They, I mean, Marvel's made an effort to keep using the canon word with this animated show, even though it's completely doing screw-round bar table and cocktail napkin stuff. But if, that, if these versions of those characters are kind of out there and possible... 
And if that was Jeffrey Wright talking to the future Black Knight, that would be that would be something. But at the same, but I don't know whose voice that is. I could not place it. I didn't try looking in the credits. Normally they they throw those people in the credits like your post credit, like like the other guy who's the big surprise in the post credits. We've spoiled enough two, things. Two, two big <laughs> surprises for like nerds. There's Pat yeah. Oswald shows yeah, up, Styles. but also yeah. Harry Styles. But uh, but, those, uh, but their yeah. names show up in the credits. What readily prepared, like, ah, it's them. I don't know who the, the voice is, though, and that's the thing. I think it's Jeffrey Wright. I'm 95% sure. Ooh. Um, that's going to be an internet rabbit hole. I dig it down to find out. Yeah, that's my thoughts. But uh, Okay. All right. Well, everybody, uh, we're going to make this easy for Mitch because it's, uh, you know, <laughs> he needs to edit it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. I've been getting a lot of follows on Letterboxd lately. I I get like notifications like seven times a day for new followers. So thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. So depending on what quote we pick for this, will it affect (laughs) the percentage or not? I don't know. Well, here, help me decide. I feel I was a fresh three out of five. I assume you're a fresh. This I'll put this down as fresh. I am. I'll, a, I'll I'm a, the stance. At this moment, I'm a four. So it's a three and a half. Yeah. But then we're there. It's yeah, I got you. Difference. All right. If you enjoyed this show, we have way more where that came from with interesting hosts and wonderful guests, all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. All right. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, buddy.